Welcome to another David McCracken Ministries podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. I think any, I think any self-respecting little demon has just fled the city. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Well, look, thank you. Be seated. And I mean, if Pastor Carl thanks you for allowing someone of his generation into the youth meeting. Um, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) But thank you. (laughs) Um, Tonight I, I believe the Lord wants me to sow directly into a particular aspect of your future DNA that this church will become known for in the years and decades that lie ahead and that tonight I'm just going to sow into that in some way um, because one of the four words that the Lord gave to me for this church, if you remember from this morning or Friday night, um, was the word supernaturally. And so, so it's obvious that it is part of Father's intention that we have an anticipation of things being done supernaturally. Um, and so do not be therefore surprised when he puts us in a position where something supernatural is necessary. Does that make sense to you? Do you get what I actually said? In other words, if I was to ask you, you've got a beautiful bay down here, you overlook a great big bay down here, so I'm going to ask a question. How many of you, just once in your life, just, just, just once in your life, I mean, if Peter could do it, why can't we? We should not be deprived of that experience. How many of you would like just once in your life to walk on water? I, 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 mean, ju- I, I mean, just get out there. You know, just walk on water. Friends, of course you want to walk on water, but that's not the real question. The real question is, how many want to get out of the boat? Because you see, us Irish are quite smart, really, contra to myth. Um, We figured it out. You cannot walk on water while you're still in the boat. But you see, everybody wants to. Everybody wants to have the... The, the miraculous testimony of how God amazingly does this, this, and this, and this, but not too many people want to live in a, in a way that demands God's supernatural. They don't want to live where the supernatural is actually necessary. Now, I know I've got a lot of youth here tonight, so I, I'm just going to have to tell a couple of stories. So the rest of you just hang in there. All right. Well, actually, I hope you enjoy it too. Um, and um, if you don't, then there's really something wrong with you. And, um, and you should read my book again. Okay. Now, I want you to know, it's particularly the youth, but I want you all to know that if Father really is interested in you, you know, we get this great religious theological idea about who God is, and it's wonderful. He is God Almighty. Of course he is, but he's also your father. He's he's not like a father to me. He is mine. He's my father. And I'm his son. 
the Bible says I'm actually born of his incorruptible seed. You can't get it more direct than that. I'm his son. And so, uh, and you're his daughter or your son or his son. And so he's interested in you in the most wonderful of ways. And, and I think some, and this has got nothing to do with the message yet, where we just, I'm just enjoying myself. Okay. Uh, um, but, but, you know, we get sometimes very, and I'm, you don't, obviously you don't, because I've heard you worship and sing and it's been pretty amazing. I've heard this lot scream and yell. So, I, I mean, you, you don't get religious. I can see that. Uh, but, but, so I'm not talking about you, but, you know, the other lot down the road. Um, and, and sometimes people get this religious idea about who God is. And you know what? He's interested in all the little things too. And I think we cut him. I think we cut him out of some of the most amazing little moments where he's actually aching to get involved. He he really wants to get involved, but we just don't think that's spiritual enough to ask him, so we don't bother. Like uh, Margaret and I were, Margaret and I were in this little Italian town once, and uh, in the Shinkateras, and and Margaret. Um, she turns to me and she says, look, we, we, we've just got to have some bright ribbon for our suitcases because, you know, we just need them to be more distinctive. I said, honey, look where we are. They wouldn't even know what bright ribbon was. I said, they can't, most of them can't speak English. And I said, where in a little place like this are we ever going to find bright ribbon? But Margaret can get reasonably persistent and 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 she and she said no no we're gonna get it oh god help us all right we go so we went into the first shop and of course they haven't got any bright ribbon they haven't a clue what we're talking about so then we go to another one and then another one and we're standing in the middle of the third shop and I'm thinking to myself I did not come to the sink of tears to stand in shops, you know, and so I'm just having a little talk with Father. Now, maybe you don't talk to him like this. That's a pity. And so, I, so I'm just standing there saying, Father, come on, come on. I, I didn't come here to look for ribbon. All, all I need is some bright ribbon. And so we walked out the door of the, sa- the same door of the same shop that we just walked in onto the same footpath we just walked in from. And all over the footpath was bright, shiny, was it green ribbon? Yellow ribbon all over the footpath. So all I had to do was bend down, pick up a couple of handfuls, give it to Margaret so we could get on with the holiday. It was really good. Now you can say, well, that was an amazing coincidence. Ah, rhubarb. My father knew what we needed right then. And, and, and we, we, we were, we were, uh, by the way, um, nothing happens to the, being a youth service and everything, uh, nothing happens to that clock if I, because I actually haven't started preaching yet. And that thing. <laughs> uh, um, the, the, um, so, but we were, we were in the middle of, we were in the middle of um, Switzerland, in the middle of summer. And it's hot and we're in our, uh, shorts and uh, uh, just singlet tops and, you know, whatever you call them, you know, T-shirts and stuff like that. And it was really hot. 
and I got the photograph to prove it. You know, Margaret shot one. We were sunbathing. And so, and we're looking down this valley and it's gorgeous. And, and Margaret turns to me and says, um, wow, look at this. Just imagine what it's going to be like in winter. She, she says, it will be all snow. And you know, the picture postcards you've seen of Switzerland in the middle of winter with snow. I said, oh yeah, it'd be amazing, amazing. You know, while, what, you know wiping the sweat off our heads. And, and we went to bed. And I'm lying there and I think, Father, he created the entire planet in six days. I reckon you can give me some snow. I know, and we had this little bit of a conversation, and he said, "Well, it's summer. I know it's summer, but but you created the season, so you mean you can do anything. So, how about some snow? It'd be just be remarkable. That's what it would be." I went to sleep. Woke up in the morning, and we're freezing. And, and, and we, I went to the window, pulled back the curtains, and everything is thick white. It has been snowing all night, and it snowed all the next day, and, and breaking the branches off trees, it was that heavy. And, and the locals were running around going, saying, it's the middle of summer, it's the middle of summer. Why is it snowing? And I, I, I didn't tell anybody. It, it was, it was, but you see, friends, do you... You, you, we've got to live as if the miraculous was as natural as breathing. It's not just in the big religious moments where suddenly we've got to get Lazarus out of that tomb. So, sometimes Father just wants to turn up. When you, you know, some of you at high school, you're walking across the playground. You know, he just wants to turn up all the time. Better pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are here tonight. Lord, well, Holy Spirit is here. And Holy Spirit is here to represent you. Father, I'm so grateful, Lord, for the just the sense of your presence and, Lord, the love for you that I sense in this room. And, Father, I know that you now want me to impart into this great church again tonight. And, Father, I just want every word, just every word, Father, to represent your intention in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, so I want you to listen to two sets of ears. Uh, what I'm saying, yes, but what is Holy Spirit saying? What's he saying to you personally and individually? Because every single one of you is vital to him. Now in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 16, it says this, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Um, and in Joshua 6.20, it says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, then that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. They possessed the city, just like you're going to possess this city. And, and I want you to notice something tonight. The shout was necessary. Did you get that? Uh, it was still required to bring about a physical reality. You see, the legal transaction, the legal decree from the heart and the lips of God had been made. I have given them the city. The, prophet, the prophetic declaration has been made over this house. 
I have given them the city. But friends, let me tell you something about prophecy. Prophecy is not what is going to happen. Prophecy is what Father intends to happen. There is always that portion that we ourselves must do. And unless they shouted one shout, those walls were not coming down. There had to be the shout of faith. There had to be the shout of praise to activate the supernatural that God had already decreed and proclaimed. It was a unity of sound that released the power of God. And I want you to notice, too, that the word shout is the word uh, in the Hebrew, ruah. It means crescendo. But actually, the, it's interesting because the exact translation is this, to split the ears with sound. To split the ears with sound. So, so friends, this was not some t- timid, nice little thing. This was a full-on roar. A bit like I heard before. But also there was a sharpness. There was a singleness of sound and it came forth. Even though thousands were shouting, there was something about it so sharp, so much one sound that it caused an incredible miracle from God. Friends, I believe part of what God is doing in returning the miraculous is Uh, will be found in our uninhibited and demonstrative praise declared in unity together. I believe it's a very, very powerful, powerful thing. Now, this day when the walls of Jericho came down was indeed an incredible day, but friends, it didn't start there. So let's start where it starts, and that's in verse 1. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 1, and let's pick it up there. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. The gates of Jericho were securely barred. Uh, And uh, New King James says they were shut up and barred. And so what I want you to see is this. The historians tell us that Jericho was one of the oldest cities in the known world at that time. They also record that it was completely invincible. In the hundreds of years that it had been there, it had never once, as a matter of record, it had never once been taken in battle. And the reason for that was that it was built on a hill and they had very uh, uh, strategically built it on this hill and then there was the walls and there was a city wall and then there was a bit of a slope and then there was a secondary wall and it was considered absolutely impregnable because if the invading armies would try to get up the first wall and when they reached the top of the first wall the archers on the main wall would just pick them off one at a time. And so it was considered utterly impregnable. It had never been breached once in the history of that city. And everybody knew one thing. They knew that there's only one way to get into that city. And that was through the gates. If you didn't get through the gates, you weren't getting in because those walls were impregnable. And so everybody knew that. And so the whole uh, strategy of any army was we've got to get to the gates. But you see, those gates had been designed and redesigned and redesigned and redesigned by every generation. And they now were considered just as impregnable as the walls. They could withstand any army of any description. And so here, these mighty, huge, great gates, you had to get there before the gates 
were shut. Now, I'm, you'll see why I'm stressing this in just a moment. It was the only possible way into that city. There was no other way. You had to get through those gates. So when it says here that the gates were shut and securely barred, that was making a very loud declaration. Once those gates were shut, all logic, all reason declared, put it behind you. Don't bother with this any longer. Get on with the rest of your future. The gates are shut and they're the only way into the city, so don't waste your time with further action on this project. Move on to your next military conquest where at least you have some hope of victory. The gates to this one are shut. Accept it, man. It's logical. Get with it. It's final. It's final. Just accept it and move on. But you know what? I felt the commission tonight My commission is incredibly clear, is to make two statements to you, not only for now, but for the days and years to come. And I believe God wants to burn them into your heart. And here's the two statements. They're almost the same, but they're different. Okay, number one, when the gates are shut and barred, it is not final. When the gates are shut and barred, it is not final. Friends, it simply means that any human endeavor would be futile. But it also means that with no human possibility, there comes the opportunity for a divine, miraculous intervention. Number two, when the gates are shut and barred, Father brings down the walls. Now, do you know that they have now excavated this city along with many of the other ancient cities and archaeologists and historians tell us that the phenomenal the phenomena of these walls, hear me now, was that these walls fell outwards rather than inwards. And of all the ancient cities that they have dug up and rediscovered and archaeology and all of that thing in the last 200 years, that is recorded that there's only one ancient city where the walls fell Outwards. All the others fell inwards. Why would that be? Well, because the only reason walls fall is because of the onslaught of the enemy on the outside bombarding them, and they always fell inwards. But Jericho fell outwards against all logic and reason. And friends, what it tells you is that there must have been something supernatural going on on for that to take place. But here's where I want you to re-lock in there because this is just, well, it's incredible. You think of these incredible walls that have withstood army after army after army. Now get hold of this. They fall outwards. So what happens to all the rubble in the wall? It Suddenly they fall this way. I had a diagram, but I forgot to show it to you. But they fall this way and the rubble falls down the hill and forms a perfect ramp up into the city. Archaeologists have proven it. And so that which was going to be the greatest opposition to taking the city suddenly becomes the very means God uses to get them into the city. The walls become a ramp. And I tell you what, friends, when the gates are shut and barred, Father brings down the walls. Can you say amen? You see, and what I want you to see this is, 
You see, friends, if the gates had been left open, they would have been an open invitation. They would have been an obvious, logical choice. Look, if those gates had been left open, the army would have gone through the gates. It was a logical, reasonable thing to do. But friends, listen carefully to me now. If they had gone through the gates, if they'd got there in time, oh, if only, if only we could have got there in time, if only we could have got there in time. Friends, if they got there on time, they would have gone through the gates. And if they'd gone through the gates, it would have been a disaster because only 20 to 30 men could get through those gates at a time. And it didn't matter how many hundreds of thousands you've had in your army, if there's only 20 or 30 getting through the gates at one time, then the archers on the inside would just pick them off as easy as could be, just sitting there picking them off one after the other. And so what we find, and I want you to see this, that the shutting of those gates that appeared to be such a denial of access to the city was actually part of Father's strategy for taking the city. Because if they'd gone through the gates, it would have been a massacre. You see, my father, father sometimes shuts the gates, people, and leaves no, no human, no logical alternative. Why? Because he's already purposed to do something supernatural. When the gates are shut and barred, it's not final. In fact, it's never been final. God always finds a man or he finds a woman who will listen to his heart and pick up on his voice and do something of obedience that will trigger the miraculous. God's always found somebody to walk through. When, when the Red Sea was there, uh, the Red Sea said, listen, it's final. Moses was there with the people of God and thousands of chariots coming to massacre them and it was final. There was no place to go. But you know what? Moses raised a rod speaking of his anointing and declared the word of the Lord and the sea parted. Why? Because it was not final. You see, when the fading daylight was going down and the sun was beginning to set, when Joshua was fighting the Amalekites, Joshua just turned around and said, stop in the name. Uh, well, no, Jesus wasn't around there, but he just said, stop. Uh, friends, have you, have you ever understood what happened that day? Oh, I'm going to make a prophecy that I know is going to come to pass now. I am not finishing on time. Okay. Now. But, but, but in compassion to those people not used to coming out on a Sunday night, I will try to get really close. All right. But, but, but friends, because you can gloss over a story like that. That story's amazing. Here's Joshua and he's fighting it out. He's carving them up and you know, demon blood everywhere. And it, it, was, it, was, it was not a pretty sight. And, and, and he's into it. And then suddenly he looks up and the sun's going down. And yet the commission had been to destroy the army in one day. So he says, this is impossible. I can't, nobody could do this in one day. The sun's going down. And then suddenly, without any thought whatsoever, without ever thinking through the logics of the situation, let alone the theology of it, no, 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 he just goes, stop. <laughs> to the sun, he says, stop. Have you any idea what took place? Planets revolve around the sun. Moons revolve around the planets. And he says, stop. 
and there is chaos in the cosmos. There's skid marks all over the heavens. There's, there's, there's planets going. It was mayhem in the universe because one guy wanted to finish the fight. Stop. Now, do you think God actually had a hemorrhage? Do you think he sat up there and says, what? Stop. What do you mean stop us, the sun? No, I think he just automatically responded to a man whose faith was that audacious. You see, it wasn't final. It wasn't final. When hundreds of thousands of troops arrayed themselves against Gideon's 300, the sheer mathematics said it was final, but Gideon, Gideon just said the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And it was not final. The tens of thousands fled before the 300. Friends, I'm telling you, it's not final. It's not final. Have you ever thought when Jesus is teaching 5,000 men plus women and children, so that's got to be 20,000 people, and suddenly they're as hungry as can be, and the hunger is getting a hold of them, and that hunger says, well, now it's final because the meeting is over. We are hungry. So they're off, and they start into the town, and Jesus just takes hold of a little boy's lunch, speaks to the bread, speaks to the fish, and starts a soup. Supermarket, and and, and 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 suddenly it's not over. It's just carried on. Why? Because it's not final. When when Lazarus' body was in the grave for three days, and I'm not being crude or or grass or anything, the Bible actually says he stunk. You know, he says this is in your Bible. I wasn't saying it's in there. It says he stinked. Behold, he stinketh. Okay, now. And, and so the death screamed out from that tomb. Well, now, now it really is final. Now, when a body starts to think you may as well settle the issue, it's final. And, 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 and so final is final. But Jesus just speaks one word and Lazarus re-embraces life and gets back into the party. What was that? Oh, friends, when is final Finally, final. Not until our Father says so. You getting hold of this? When the gates are shut and barred, it's not final. When the gates are shut and barred, it Father just brings down the walls. We have got to live lives in anticipation of the miraculous divine intervention of our God. Can you say Amen. Now I thought about then was about where I would finish, but the father had other ideas. And so he gave me a cycle that I see now in scripture and it goes something like this. God commissions, we obey. So God blesses. But then contradiction takes place. I wrote these notes down in Melbourne weeks ago before I knew anything at all. And then contradiction occurs. So we go through a time of trauma or defeat. We cry out to God. God freshly commissions an even greater victory 
is the result. Why? Because our God is a God of resurrection. He's a God of the second chance. Our God is a God of the second time. He turns our final into a time of new beginning. You take a look at the life of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, we have, we have the commission of Joshua. The mantle's being placed upon him. And what an awesome moment that was as he took up the, the leadership of God's people from Moses. And then chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, there's nothing but victory in the supernatural interventions of God. We read a little bit about that in Jericho. And there's nothing but conquest and triumph. But then you come to chapter 7. And in chapter 7, the greed of a man named Achan uh, causes Israel to be defeated for the very first time and it was at a city called Ai. And through no, absolutely no fault of his own, Joshua experiences a defeat on a project that actually had been totally in the will of God to achieve. And so God's intention had been for him to take the city of Ai. And he had not been in obedience. He had been in total obedience. He had been completely in the will of God. He was faultless in the eyes of God. It was someone else's failure that caused the demise of that moment. And yet the sting of failure must have touched his own heart so very deeply and suddenly for the first time in his leadership there's something is breaking the unstoppable momentum of God's people and it was also terribly unjust because Joshua had done nothing wrong but due to the sin of another his own call and his own commission has known this savage attack and trauma and so what happens is that God then calls to him and says to him now I want you to go back and I want you to take AI. Friends, listen to me. If you'd gone to take a city and you'd known an incredible defeat and there had been blood on the floor, I'm telling you now, you wouldn't want to go back. Can you say amen? And so because, uh, you see, can you just imagine when Joshua said to them, folks, we're going to go take that city, AI. Can you just imagine the reaction? Are you kidding are you nuts? You think we can't remember last time? Last time it was a disaster. We are not going back there again. That's all there is to it. Friends, why would God ask them to do that? With so many other conquests lying ahead of them, why that? Well, because, friends, it's never final. And so the incredible obedience, incredible obedience of Joshua at that time is recorded in Joshua chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear, the symbol of his authority and his command, his faith. Stretch out that spear that is in your hand toward Ai. Direct your prayer of faith. Direct your leadership and the word of your command towards that city. For I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly and out of their place. They ran as soon as they had, he had stretched out his hand. Did you notice? They ran as soon as he stretched out his hand. As soon as he redirected his faith. And they entered the city and they took it. Verse 27. Only livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as bounty for themselves according to the word of the Lord. And in verse 30, Joshua built an altar. Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel. I want to quickly give you the elements of the story because I felt so quickened about them. Joshua had been clearly commissioned by God to take Ai. 
Then Joshua suffers a setback, a contradiction. It appears that the door to that one is definitely shut. God revisits Joshua and commissions him once again and says, go try again with that project. Try again with that conquest. But this time with God's supernatural interventions. So Joshua does that and a great victory is the result. And what happens in that glorious moment is that a situation that previously identified with humiliation and defeat suddenly becomes a place of great increase and prosperity and rejoicing and empowerment for the years that lay ahead. Joshua then builds an altar and renews the covenant. Friends, the place of apparent previous defeat now becomes a place of covenant and a place of new beginnings. Why? Because one man decided it is not final. It is illogical. It is unreasonable. But if my father says do it, then he knows what he's doing. And all I've got to do is say yes and amen. Friends, listen to me. Listen to me. Because some of you have had moments in the past where you identify that moment as a place of defeat or a place of discouragement or a place where suddenly things didn't go right. And I want to tell you something right now. It is not final. It is not final. It is not final. Some of you have had setback in your marriage. It is not final. Some of you, you and some of the adults, you've had setback even perhaps in your moral life. It's not final. Some of you have had major setback maybe financially or in your business life. It's not final. It's not final until our Father says it's final. And I'm telling you now, we need to get a hold of this tonight. It's not final till our Father says it's final. My God turns our finals into new beginnings. And Joshua, sorry, Jeremiah 33, one to three. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. Why would he come the second time? He'd spoken very clearly the first time. I know you, some of you are scribbling like crazy, but just eyeballs this way for a second. If God made it quite clear in Jeremiah chapter one, he spoke clearly, there was nothing vague about it. I've called you to be a prophet unto the nations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then, then why would he speak the second time? Well, that's because of where he was. And you see, the, the Lord, where the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up, in the courts of the prison. Now freeze, don't look there, look here for a second. Friends, listen to me, he wasn't in the prison. He was in the courts of the prison. What is it, that's splitting hairs? No, it's not, it's distinctively different. You see, when they had, when they, when they had a, a murderer or a thief or whatever it was, they would put him in prison and there he would rot with the rats and eventually die in prison. But they didn't put Jeremiah there. They, they, they simply put him in the court of the prison, which, which was quite reasonable really. And he could even have people visit him and stuff like that. And so it was actually quite a reasonable place to live, but, but you, it was still, still a place of confinement. It was a place of restriction. It was a place that screamed out, well, you just have to settle for it. This is your status quo now. 
Oh, it's not prison as in rats and infesting. Oh, no, nah, nah, it's not that. But, but it is a place of confinement. It's a place of restriction. It's a place where you can't let your vision go bananas anymore. You can't let your visionary juices go weird anymore. You can't believe with God for the miraculous anymore. You can't believe for the vision to come to pass anymore. That's the kind of place it was. And so the word of the Lord comes to him the second time. And the word of the Lord came to him and says this. Thus saith the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it in order to establish it. What does that mean? It means he doesn't start anything he doesn't intend to finish. And he says, call to me and I will answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know or the Hebrew says, which you have not yet ever seen nor experienced. Friends, it's critical that we do not limit God to how he's traditionally things, done things in the past. He, you're gonna experience things in the next few years that you've not yet seen nor experienced. You've gotta have an anticipation of God, not only that he will break through, but that your availability is gonna be completely unconditional. The word of the Lord will come the second time, but it will come maybe not in the way that you would have heard it previously. Maybe different because it says here, I, I, I will come and I'll show you great and mighty, amazing, inaccessible things which you have not yet seen nor experienced. Friends, I'm here tonight to tell you that it is not final. I'm telling that everything, listen to me, everything, everything, absolutely everything that Father had in his heart when he gave birth to this church, no matter how, what seasons it went through, no matter how many contradictions, no matter what chapters took place, I'm telling you right now that in my room in Melbourne weeks ago, nothing, knowing nothing about this church whatsoever, I believe Father spoke to me and he said, listen, all of what's taken place has not taken out those who cannot be shaken. And they are now, they are now a people. They are now a people standing on the verge of a whole new era, a whole new beginning. And I'm telling you now, there's gonna be transformation in your city. There's gonna be a supernatural things beginning to take place because there's gonna be men and women and young people who will dare to believe in a God of the miraculous and will wake up in the morning with an appetite for the miraculous of God. I am excited. I am excited about the future of this local church. I'm excited because of my father's intention. I'm excited because of the power of the Holy Spirit and your love for him and the Lordship of Jesus. And I'm excited and confident because of two people sitting here. Friends, I don't have to grandstand and I don't have to please anybody. I gave that up about 76 years ago. Okay, that was before I was born. Maybe I should adjust that. Okay. But, but I, I'm just too Irish. I don't care anymore. Uh, so I don't have to butter them up. But I'm telling you now, I recognize guileless people when I see them. I, I, I recognize purity of heart and purity of spirit when I see it. And I tell you what, there is nothing that God will withhold from the pure heart. 
And I am excited about the future of this church. But how I want to finish is on a personal note now. Because I've been preaching about new beginnings and I've been preaching about the fact that it's never final. And I think Father in his great love has been talking to some of you tonight. Maybe you've had a disappointment in a certain area. Maybe you've had a setback in a certain area of life or marriage or family or finances or ministry or whatever it is. And all the logics, all the reasons, all the reasonableness of the mind would say right now, cut it loose, move on. Nothing will ever change any now. It's too late for you anyhow. Friends, I'm 67 years old and I've got news for you. It's never too late. It's not ever, 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 ever too late. You see, our God is a God of the impossible. You say, but I know what God actually spoke to me years ago. I can see or hear somebody. God actually spoke to me years ago and, and, and I, I, I got argued out of it and, and now it's too late. It's never too late. Not ever, ever. Never, never, never too late. Do you know, it's a true story, true story. There was a young couple in, in Seattle, Washington, decades and decades and decades and decades ago. And they heard a call to missions. And they looked at each other, they just got married. And they knew the call of God. They shot to the front and they said, Father, we're going. We're committing our hearts. And you know, when they got, came back, then people began to talk to them and reason with them and say to them, you know, there's things you need to put in order first. Maybe you need to get established first. You need to do this first. You've got to do that first. And before long, the years went by and then the children came. Well, now you have to allow the children to do this and the children to do that and the children to do that. And so that took over. And then the children grew up and now you've got to wait around for this and you've got to wait... Cut a long story short, one day they were sitting in that same church, actually, and they were in their middle 60s. I don't know exact age. I think it was 64, 65, but they were in their middle 60s. They had actually retired, both of them, and they're sitting in that congregation, and a visiting preacher did a call for missions, and something gripped them, and they looked at each other, tears streaming down their faces, and they said, but now it's too late. And the next words out of the preacher's lips were, and by the way, it is never too late. And something happened inside of them. And, and they shot to the front and they said, we're, we're in the middle of the 60s, Lord, but we are available. <laughs> and, and God, listen to me, God sent them to Indonesia. And today, the largest Pentecostal movement in that part of the world. Tens of thousands of churches. 
are the fruit of that couple because God took them there and they had revival and they gave 20 years to their middle 80s and when they went back to the States, they left a whole movement and a Bible college and training centres and it was utterly staggering. And why? Because two people believed it's never too late. It's never too late. It's not ever too late. The accuser likes to tell you that it's too late, but he's a liar. He always has been. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Don't think about anybody else right now. It's just lock in time with you and your great friend, Holy Spirit. But if, 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 if the Lord's spoken to any of you tonight and you felt, well, I thought it was going to be too late, and I have, but oh, this is a time for new beginnings for me. My God, I, I'm just going to cross that line of unconditional availability. I'm just going to dare to believe, Father, that everything you put in my heart in the beginning can yet become an absolute reality. If that's you tonight, then I, I just want you to stand to your feet right where you are. We don't need the music yet, guys. Okay, I just want right now, anybody that feels it might be in any area of life, and I do keep carrying back in my heart, I feel there's certain businessmen here that have been dealt a savage blow. Well, bankruptcy is not the final, you know. We serve a God of resurrection. Father, I take these precious ones to you, Lord. Father, I look at them, Father, and I know what you're feeling right now. My God, you are excited about their future. And right now I cancel the power of accusation against them in Jesus' name. I cancel out the power of previous disappointment in Jesus' name. Father, I cancel out any sense of rejection in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I declare, Lord, as they go to bed tonight, as they wake up tomorrow, they will awake with a new sense of commission. A Lord, a new sense of hope and faith and courage flooding into their hearts. Lord, that over the next few weeks and months, Father, you will begin to speak again and Lord, vision will be flowing, Father, and a sense of divine commission, Lord, and an anticipation of the miraculous will fill their hearts. Oh, Father, I pray, let them know how indescribably you love each one of them tonight, Father. Let them go to bed tonight feeling the warmth of your love and affection, Father. And let them wake up tomorrow with the boldness of those who know who they really are. Oh, we love you, Father. We give you our hearts. I, I want to thank you for this great church. I want to thank you, Lord, for all of its great leadership team. And Father, I pray an open heaven over them. I pray, Father, the favor of God on them. I pray, Father, for the miraculous to break forth in the house. I pray, Father, for the great harvest to be swept into them, Father. Father, I thank you for this church as it launches into the finest years of its life thus far and opens a door for great new decades to come. Father, I commit each one to you now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more content, head to our website, davidmccracken.org.